so many industries nowadays are actually seeking out neurodiverse talent because they know that this is what's going to allow them to have people who think differently, who have creative solutions to old problems. And once you attract that talent, you have to be able to retain it and you have to be able to make them feel like they belong and talk to them in a way that makes sense to them. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. So my guest on today's episode of the Inspire Podcast, and, and I'll, I'll do my best on your last name, Justina. Uh, and if I get it wrong, you'll have to do the official version, but Justina Porre Rabonaska. That was pretty good, Bart. Okay. It's Justina. <laughs> so the last name is Pore Vibranovska, but that was pretty good. We're off. To, we're off to a decent start. <laughs> I think so. And Yastina joins uh, as a representative of the Humphrey Group. She is the director of learning experience design, and it's my great pleasure, Yastina, to welcome you to the Inspire Podcast. Thanks so much, Bart. It's been uh, it's been a long road here, but I'm glad to be here finally. Yes, yes. Uh, you have tried to dodge this. <laughs> I give you great I, credit. You have you have put up a, a sustained uh, resistance <laughs> campaign, but here we are. You have failed. Yes, <laughs> I have failed. Yes. Yes, and I'm glad. I'm glad for you and for our listeners that you failed because you know what you're here to talk about is accessibility, and you know, I, and I'll just speak personally. You know, accessibility is not something five years ago I really thought about. It's not something I thought much about as a leader. It's not something I think we thought about at all in terms of how we design learning at the Humphrey Group. And, and frankly, it's not something that was just, you know, talked about much in life. You know, uh, and I think for the better, dramatically for the better, all three things, all those things have changed. And you have been a big part of that change at the Humphrey Group. So, I want to have you on because I think more leaders need to know how critical it is to think about communication through the lens of accessibility. So maybe you could start, uh, we could wind back a bit and you can talk to me a bit about your credentials and, and what has kind of enabled you to help the Humphrey Group embrace this journey of accessibility. Yeah, Absolutely. So I'll tell you that uh, I'm a recovering academic. Uh, I, have a, <laughs> I have a PhD focusing on systems of oppression. Uh, I'm a former university instructor. I'm also a former learning strategist working with students with disabilities uh, at a university here in Toronto. Um, so I've always been a teacher and I've always been fascinated with how people learn um, and learning with students that have different learning needs, just built an awareness of how inaccessible so much of teaching and learning is. So that's why I'm delighted that you're you're right. Accessibility is becoming a hot topic today. It is becoming increasingly thought of as just a fundamental part of good user experience design. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, that's that's a net positive in the world. 
Totally. Totally. And, you know, I think we should just define, can you just define for us and for me, accessibility? What does, what does that mean? Yeah. Accessibility just means designing something that works better for a greater number of people. Hmm. It's, it's really quite straightforward. And when you think about learning, you know, in our context of leadership development, like give me one or two examples just before we delve into the broader conversation, like what would be indicative of poor accessibility? Something that people listening or may have experienced and they're like, eh, not realizing that that was actually poor accessibility. Oh my, uh, so many examples spring to mind right off the bat. Uh, one very simple example is just presenting information or content in a way that people can only access it one way. For example, something is only explained verbally, you know, and for people who, like me, for example, struggle if they can't see it in writing, that goes right, right in one ear and out the other. I did not grasp it at all. Um, so that's a very simple example. Another example might be, you know, someone who might be accessing that visual through text alone would have no idea what that visual is. It would just say, you know, this is an image and that's completely unhelpful if you need that image described to you. You know, you have been a real voice in the Humphrey Group for advancing our commitment to accessibility. There are, for those listening, may or may not know, there are there are mandatory guidelines, for example, around accessibility for a website, but only if your company is a certain size, which we aren't. There are many other guidelines and, and we really, I'm so proud, thanks to your leadership and others, we've exceeded all the, you know, things that we didn't have to because we're so committed to this. Now, this is, but this is something, this drive to create more accessible learning, accessible communication, something that's personal to you. And I know when we prep for this, you, you talked a bit about when you were younger, you had a, a diagnosis and that led you to recognize the importance of this. Can you just go into that story a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, after a particularly humiliating classroom experience, this was when I was in college, uh, the professor just suggested that I get evaluated because he suspected that, quote unquote, you know, something was wrong. Uh, and lo and behold, he was right. I was I was diagnosed with ADHD and, you know, a couple of garden variety learning disabilities uh, at 19. And at that time, this was about 2008, 2009. Neurodiversity wasn't really treated as uh, a complex, as the complex condition that it is. Mm -hmm. It was sort of just treated as, well, you're like this. So this is the box that you fit in and you're going to struggle with these things. Here's a list of things that you won't be able to do. Um, and being the contrarian <laughs> that I am. Yeah, disheartening <laughs> to hear that. It, it really was. You know, I got a whole packet, a, a huge documentation packet that basically said, here are things you're going to have a difficult time with. <laughs> wow. And as soon as someone tells me you can't do this, you know, I make it my personal mission to prove <laughs> them wrong. Right. Uh, so I went to grad school and I got my PhD. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and now are changing what what is possible. <laughs> what is possible. Yeah. yeah. So and then working as a learning strategist, you know, with students facing the same or similar or, or completely different challenges than the ones I had to face and figuring out different ways of thinking to achieve the same goal was such a fun and fascinating cognitive exercise that it, it just became a whole world onto its own that I, I, I love diving into. And it, and it makes such an impact. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but my wife, who's a teacher, was trained in what's called Orton-Gillingham method to work with children with learning disabilities. And 
the ability to help them learn differently and and yet have them reach the same learning outcomes. I mean, it was amazing to hear the impact that if you could have the diagnosis and the support, they could achieve those same outcomes of things that, you know, as you said, maybe 20 years ago, they were told they couldn't do. So I, I, yeah. I think of accessible communication in, in the same way. And, and, um, and maybe that is a good segue to this first topic, which is like, what is it? And, and why is it so important for us at the Humphrey group? And why is it more so important? Do you think for leaders who are listening and are saying, you know, what does this have to do with me? <laughs> I don't design training. So yeah, start there. I mean, this is, this is, it's completely relevant, right? Uh, we spend most of our lives as human beings communicating with each other. And so many of the people that we communicate with have things going on that we don't know about. You know, as a society, we're becoming a lot more aware of neurodiversity and how differently different people's brains work and being able to connect with a person, regardless of what's going on for them, regardless of where they're at with their neurodiversity journey. Um, and being able to communicate clearly in a way that makes sense, in a way that we're both on the same page, is a is a vital skill. So many industries nowadays are actually seeking out neurodiverse talent because they know that this is what's going to allow them to have people who think differently, who have creative solutions to old problems. And once you attract that talent, you have to be able to retain it, and you have to be able to make them feel like they belong and talk to them in a way that makes sense to them. And so if you can reach people, you can recruit great, better talent, you can create more inclusive teams, you can get the most out of your, your people. So it sounds like there are some real benefits, particularly in this era where we're starting to recognize the power of diverse teams. 100%. And, you know, accessibility, it's not just for disabled people. Um, you know, that's why in teaching and learning, we have... Hmm. Uh, can, you, can you talk more about that? Because I think that is, you know, an assumption. It's one I've certainly had in the past. Yeah, absolutely. The, the great thing about accessible design is it just makes the product better for everyone. You know, that's why in teaching and learning, we have what's called universal design for learning, because it's actually just better for everyone. Hmm. The, the principles of universal design are just basically provide multiple different ways of accessing the same information and multiple different ways of showing what you've learned. So that regardless of what works best for you, you have a way of showing how much knowledge and expertise you have. So it actually is serving your interests, right? Because you're able to reach people through different channels. So so let's just unpack those. You said providing multiple ways. Can you take me through those two things, those two principles there and explain each of them? Yeah, for sure. So the multiple different means of, of representation of content. So for example, if I'm teaching you how to build an argument, I'll tell you verbally, I'll also show it to you in writing, you know, we'll go through a, a visual and then maybe we'll watch a video about it so that you've heard it, you've seen it, you've looked at it and you've absorbed the same information in a variety of different ways. And then the next one is how, how the learner or how the person you're communicating with responds. So I have to give you multiple different ways of showing what you've learned now. So I will let you talk to me about it. I will let you write it down. Maybe I'll have you create a PowerPoint about it. Basically give them multiple different options because 
some are just going to be easier for translating that new knowledge right. that they've gained. Right. And, and it sounds like that's compelling, even if, as you said, your audience is not, you know, what you would consider a disabled or uh, audience. This is really, you know, people just think and receive communication differently. So it's going to allow, so it's really allowing you as a communicator to make it as easy as possible for the greatest number of people to take in your message, which is what you should want. It, It is. It's really like when we talk about inclusion, this is what it's all about. And I, I don't think people actually realize how big the global disabled population is. Do you have any stats on that? So uh, you know me, Bart, of course I do. <laughs> of course, of course you do. <laughs> we, are, we are the world's largest minority community. We're approximately 15% wow. of the global population. The, the disability market represents something like $13 trillion globally. Mm-hmm. It's an astounding market that not enough people are, are taking into account when they design products. Hmm. So this is critical. So anyone listening, like what I'm taking away is, you may not realize, but you have this huge audience, with, which is neurodiverse and requires different ways of taking your communication. And so even if they're not uh, diagnosed accessibility, um, disabled or requiring accessibility, it behooves you to think in terms of accessible communication. Absolutely. That'll just make it easier for everyone in the long run. So what are, okay, so let's look at some of the barriers. Because you said, you know, huge population. What are, if you had to group these barriers, like what would be some typical barriers that you as a speaker, you as a communicator should be aware exist out there? Yeah. Okay, great. So I think we're getting at sort of what are the main categories of disabilities and then and, and how do they how do they impact people so let's say i'm a speaker i want to give a talk at a conference the very first thing is what building am i in mm-hmm. so physical disabilities can people physically enter the room if they use a wheelchair if they are a cane user if they mm-hmm. use a walker um is the space designed in such a way that people could actually access my talk okay right? And then we get to things that are more specific to the communication itself. So sensory disabilities that include things like vision or hearing, things like the font size of my PowerPoint, the color contrast. There's a a lot of people who are colorblind Hmm. and certain color choices just make it very difficult for them to even read slides. Hmm. Things like alternative text. If I'm using designing content online that I want them to be able to access after the fact, if I use a lot of visuals, they got to have alt text. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then hearing disabilities, right? If I'm recording my talk and I'm broadcasting it live, it's got to have captions or subtitles or some sort of transcript. Those things, you know, even if you're not hard of hearing or deaf, a lot of people benefit from subtitles and transcripts, sometimes just because it's faster to read than to listen through. And sometimes because it's just easier to follow along if you can read at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, your your point around transcripts or and live transcript rather than after really resonates with me because as someone without a disability around hearing if i'm watching tv and there's strong accents say in british accent i'm watching some sort of british crime drama i will put subtitles on because it still makes it easier for me to follow so and that and that's me without a disability so i can understand that it is just better communication to provide those multiple ways to take in the content Absolutely. You're, you're hitting on something really important, which is the cognitive load, right? Hmm. If, if what, I'm, what's that? 
Yeah. So cognitive load is just how hard your brain has to work to accomplish a task. So mm. if we're in a space of learning, if I'm communicating something new to people, that's already a heavy cognitive load. If then there's also the added load of I may not understand this accent, then the subtitles just make it so much easier. And I only right. have to deal with the new information, not the added struggle of what is this person actually saying? Right. Right. So, hmm. so if we can lower that, we can, I mean, our goal, and we talk about this at the Humphrey Group, our goal is to inspire action. And we yeah. inspire action by providing clear thinking that resonates with the audience. So if you can lower that cognitive load, you can increase the likelihood your message is going to be heard. You can increase the processing power to think about that message rather than the work that it takes just to take it in. Absolutely. And again, you know, we we read so much, we hear so much, especially on TikTok and other social media platforms. Oh, about- yes, Dina, I'm not on TikTok. I'm not. I'm old. <laughs> I'm old. I'm not uh, cool. <laughs> I, I am a newcomer to TikTok, my, but it's been an awesome my, learning. My cognitive load can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, but the reason I'm bringing this up is, you know, it's sort of accepted nowadays that neurodivergent people may struggle with picking up on social cues or may struggle with reading between the lines on certain social situations. So clear communication, direct communication, telling people exactly what the rules of engagement are using plain language. These are things that make communication, which is the building block of human existence, so much easier and less stressful for everyone. And, and you know, I think the cool thing too now is a lot of the, like if you're, if you're presenting, for example, digitally, there's a lot of built-in accessibility technology that I see. So for example, you know, when I record a video and share it to our company on Slack, it now auto transcribes what I'm saying. So you can watch it or just read it. And I don't have to do any more work. So I feel like the world in very positive ways is moving to enable us to communicate more accessibly without a lot more work. Are you seeing that? You're absolutely right. And it honestly makes me so happy when I see that because products nowadays, it's sort of just a, a, a basic expectation that they that they have some sort of built in software that I would call accessible technology or assistive technology, but that most users, non-disabled users would just think of as a cool smartphone feature, you know. So the way I use my smartphone, for example, versus the way my spouse uses his smartphone are completely different. You know, I use it on low brightness because it saves battery. Um, I like to keep the font size small because I get to see the big picture, but I also can't process information if I'm only hearing it. So I I have to look at it. On the other hand, my spouse has a vision loss disability. So he uses his smartphone completely differently. He uses it as a magnifying glass all the time. If there's something he can't see properly, he'll take a picture of it and then he'll zoom in. Mm. And his phone has a feature that can detect text from a picture wow. and read it out loud to him. That's so cool. I didn't even it's, know that existed. It's awesome. Yeah. So he was totally mind blown wow. when he discovered this. And it makes things so much easier because I see him not having to struggle to read the menu right. at a fast food restaurant, for example. Which So the good news for people listening is if you hadn't been thinking about improving your accessible your communication by making it more accessible technology has and there are tools embedded that will enable you to do that but but i think is it fair to say it's not enough just to use technology you have to be intentional as a leader in a few key ways to 
be more accessible? Like it's not, you can't just be passive about this, can you? Oh, for sure. You have to, there are also techniques and, and practices that you have to put in place that are on you to enact essentially. Like starting with signing up for a Humphrey group program, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, for those, for those who aren't uh, and taking our, our you know, a program on accessibility, let, let's do a mini program. Like what, what would you say like the three pieces of, of advice you'd give me, give leaders, mm. like how can we be more intentionally accessible in our communication? Without getting okay, a, without getting a PhD like you, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say there's three three tips, and I'll tell them to you now, and then I'll we'll go over them in greater detail. Uh, so, tip number one: no surprises. Don't surprise me. Okay. I don't want to be surprised. Okay. Tip number two: give me multiple different options. Okay. And then tip number three: everyone is the expert on their own experience. Hmm. Okay. All right. Let's dive into those. Tell me about don't surprise me. Yeah, don't surprise me. I don't want to be surprised. It's it's funny because there's a, this is a big sort of debate in the design world. You know, do you want to surprise the customer? Do you want to delight the customer? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to design with no surprises? Okay. Um, as a person who is focused on learning and accessibility, I really believe that clearly communicating the rules of engagement ahead of time and and clearly communicating what's going to happen next are vital for decreasing that cognitive load we've talked about and just and just ensuring a less stressful experience hmm. so how does that reconcile with you know as you said the delight the customer and i feel like delight is often like unexpected joy <laughs> or delight the yeah. audience i mean i think this is kind of a self-serving response but i think if someone who has specific learning needs goes to a learning experience and it turns out that the learning experience is fully accessible to them. They have a great time. They're not stressed at any moment because they can't keep up with how fast the facilitator is going or because they can't see as well as hear what's going on. Then the fact that the learning experience was not painful is delightful. Hmm. Hmm. I love that. Hmm. Um, I also really think that in a space of learning, or if you're a leader and you have to communicate decisions that are being made, new things that are going to happen, change, you're already expecting a lot from people. You're already mm-hmm. putting them in a position where they're being challenged and being stretched and being asked to mm-hmm. do something new. And that already carries a lot of anxiety for many mm-hmm. people. Right. So my job as a learning designer is to make that cognitive load as manageable as possible. And your job as a leader is to make that communication, that conversation as simple and clear and straightforward as possible. Yeah. So any few people who might be delighted will be far offset by the people who whose cognitive low is high and just can't take it in. And so it's really better to be predictable, not predictable in your message, but predictable in the mechanism by which you communicate with people so that they oh, can they can receive it. Totally. It's all about structure. Like, tell me what's going to happen. Tell me what's expected of me. Tell me how I'm expected to participate. You know, verbally or through the chat is fine. I'll pause every few minutes. I'll take questions from you. So mm-hmm. don't hold your questions to the end. You know, ask me anytime. I'll be checking the chat. You know, give me the structure. Tell me, uh, first, we're going to do this. Next, we're going to do a breakout and an exercise. And then we'll debrief that. Give me a sense of what's coming next. I like it predictable and we, we i mean we have that in our principle around structure we're going to tell you the structure and then we'll do we'll follow it so okay point one don't surprise me 
Exactly. Point number two, this is the multiple options, right? The, the point of this principle is just people are different. People learn differently. Different things are going to work best for different people. Okay. So let people engage in the way that they choose to. You know, if you're going to give instructions verbally, give them in writing as well. Hmm, okay. If you're going to show a visual aid, also describe what you're showing and narrate what you're doing as you're doing it. So hmm. if I'm if I'm going through a visual aid, you know, tell people exactly where you are and, and what you're focusing on. I'm I'm on slide three now. I'm focusing on data point A. And the conclusion I can draw from this data is X, Y, and Z. And now I'm going to move on to slide four. I like you know, it. So you're really giving them those two two channels of communication, the verbal yeah. and linking it to the written. Hundred percent. And and again, this is going to help people who are blind or low vision. This is also going to help people who are just uh, multitasking or who right. have gotten lost. Not, no one ever multitasks now, Yastina. There's no distractions. <laughs> <laughs> if you're, oh, are you not, on TikTok right now while we're doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and give people permission to engage in the way that they want to engage, right? Mm -hmm. So when I ask for volunteers, I'll ask people to volunteer themselves. I'll say, we'll do an exercise on vision, for example. If you want to volunteer, send me a chat or use hmm. a reaction emoji or raise your hand and I'll call on you. And then if no one volunteers, I'll choose a victim. Right. You can always <laughs> tell me pass and I'll move on. No hard right. feelings. Right. Okay. I like it. And your third point. Yeah, my third point. Everyone is the expert on their own experience. Hmm. This is just about ensuring that you let people bring all of their own expertise to the table to make the content relevant. Okay. Tell me more about that. Yeah. In adult learning, you know, we know that people come people come to the table with a, a huge amount of experience and expertise already. So being able to take advantage of that and get them to share their past experience or how this applies to their day-to-day -day work or what their challenges at work with this particular thing is, is going to make it so much more relevant and feel so much more real for them and also for everyone else there. Right. So take advantage of that experience that they're bringing. Let them drive the conversation. Don't tell them what they're what they need in other words or how they could, yeah. should receive it yeah absolutely and and i think a sub point of this is make sure to make sure that mistakes are okay hmm. how, you know uh, can you explain that yeah um the whole point of experiential learning and and adult learning in general is you get people to try something out and then if they're doing it for the first time, you know, it might not go perfectly. And then we talk about how did it go? What could have gone better? Let me show you a technique that might help you next mm -hmm. time. And then they try it again. So that experience of having made the mistake and then being corrected and, and shown the quote unquote right way, that could be an experience that could be extremely stressful or that could be an aha moment that really solidifies that learning for you in your mind. So your job as the facilitator is to make sure that that experience of making the mistake, getting corrected and, and learning the new way is as painless as possible. So, Justine, what, what I'm really taking away, and this has been very valuable, is that, you know, first, if you as a leader, if you as a communicator want to reach the broadest audience 
possible and really do so so that they hear your message you have to think about accessibility and you don't need a you don't need a phd that's why we could have you in the podcast um <laughs> but you need to think about you know lowering the cognitive load reaching people in these multiple channels of communication and being prepared to have thought or tools that come with the technology we have today go into removing the barriers and making it as easy as possible for the greatest number of people to hear your message. Does that, does that yeah. capture kind of the, the Cole's notes of how to begin to think about accessible communication? Yeah, I think you got it. That's basically it. So where would you, you know, someone listening says, okay, look, this is, this is a lot. This, you know, my cognitive load is, is high because <laughs> this is all new for me. How do you start, like, what's the one thing you would advise me and people listening to do in the two weeks after listening to this podcast to start being more mm. intentionally accessible? I would say, welcome. Thank you for being here. I'm delighted we are getting on this journey together. <laughs> I would also say, start turning on your captioning and your Zoom meetings. Um, start providing instructions in writing as well as explaining them verbally. Okay. Um, and start asking people what they need from you to make it easier for them to do their job. I like it. Those are very yeah. simple things that sound like they'll make a big impact. And they often do when you ask the questions. It's a journey. So, uh, you know, thanks for taking me on the first part of the journey and, the, and, the, and thanks for all you're doing at the Humphrey Group to make the learning accessible. Is there anything that you would encourage people and we can put in the show notes to read, to consume in a non-verbal manner, <laughs> right? Uh, that will give them some resources in this, in this journey. Definitely. I have tons of recommendations. I'll, I'll stick with just three for now. I'm, I'm going to probably get these, these individuals names wrong because I have only seen them in writing, but I'll give it my best shot. Uh, Hob and Gurma, awesome LinkedIn follow, uh, disability rights, lawyer, author, speaker, just overall incredibly mm -hmm. impressive human being. She was on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. She got the Helen Keller Achievement Award. So someone doing really important work in this space. Uh, another person would be uh, Sherry Byrne Haber, another certified accessibility professional, another great LinkedIn follow. And then Tiffany Yu. She's a disability advocate and she's the founder of a company called Diversibility. Okay. Uh, another person I recommend that you follow on LinkedIn. Okay, well, we'll, um, we'll link to those individuals in the show notes. And uh, thank you so much, Justina, for joining the Inspire podcast. I'm glad I finally got you on here. <laughs> Thanks, Bart. It's been fun. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Justina of the Humphrey Group, who really had some great insights on how accessibility isn't just a nice thing to think about, but an imperative for anyone who wants to reach all their audiences. And I think what's so cool now are how tools like Zoom are incorporating accessibility right into what you're doing to make it so easy. So that's great news for anyone who wants to reach all their audiences. Hope you enjoyed the pod. As always, please rate and review. It really helps get noticed and helping others to find the Inspire podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. I'm not previewing it yet. We're working on a few things. Uh, that may determine who that guest is, but know that we'll be back and look forward to sharing another great conversation with you. 
Thanks so much.